Welcome to Europa Rama, podcast series about science fiction and the future of Europe. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Are We Europe, the podcasting family and magazine which collectively asks the question what it means to be European. My name is Giuseppe Porcaro and I am the author of Disco Sour, a novel about Europe and democracy in the age of the algorithms. In each episode, I talk to a fellow writer and together we will explore and create a fictional future scenario for the old continent. The idea of the series is really to take science fiction as a tool to explore multiple narratives for the future of Europe and also to consider storytelling as a tool to create spaces for a European imagination. I strongly believe that the future of the continent is not a one-way direction and actually science fiction can raise awareness that our own choices and the political choices that we have in front of us determine our future. Also, and this is very important as a caveat, fiction is not prediction. So this is not a podcast by futurologists, this is a podcast by creative writers who are using science fiction to imagine different kinds of futures. In this episode, we will speak about retro cyberpunk and imagine a future of Europe where the internet as we know it does not exist anymore. Today, I'm happy to host Sabrina Calvo. Hello, Sabrina. Hello, Giuseppe. Um, Sabrina uh, is an award-winning writer and game designer. She likes to think of her work as a thoughtful, sensitive anarchism. She lives a quiet, focused life between Montreal and Paris. And her latest novel, Toxoplasma, won the Grand Prix de l'Imaginaire in 2018, which is something similar to the Hugo Awards for France. Toxoplasma is set in a future where the internet as we know it disappeared and the city of Montreal is besieged by the federal army and survives as a sort of anarchist commune. And the world is kind of falling apart or fucked up. Sabrina, uh, would you define that setting um, as a sort of proto-cyberpunk? Uh, and um, if we were to imagine a proto-cyberpunk future Europe, How would that look like? Proto-cyberpunk is kind of a joke thing. I mean, uh, you know, it's very hard to think of writing in terms of subgenres. And a lot of people are saying that cyberpunk as a genre uh, is dead and buried, has been dead and buried for a long time now. And I tend to agree with that. But that doesn't mean that we cannot play uh, with this kind of retro futurism ideas where uh, ideas of the 70s, 80s or 90s can be carried out somehow today or in the next 10 years and, and reappear in society and reappear in writing in new forms. So I guess proto-cyberpunk might be a playful uh, joke on how to get back at the root of what is cyberpunk and how we could, what, was, what would be the first steps in order to get into what was cyberpunk in the 80s? Because, I mean, when we are talking about cyberpunk today, it's very hard not to be misled by the visual impact of cyberpunk 
uh, and that is em- completely emptying cyberpunk of its political implications. Yeah, I, and, I, uh, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, there is some sort of aesthetic aspect to the genre and uh, the losing of all the, the political activism in it. Yeah, uh, cyberpunk is, well, well, I'm not, I'm not very fond of the punk thing, you know, because obviously it was a, it was something, it was historical. And now a lot of people will reclaim punk as a way of being and living are not very punk really. But what is interesting in cyberpunk is when it was first created and when it was first written as cyberpunk, it was literally, literally that little punks, young, young people playing with, computers to mess up with their parents and mess up with society. Um, and um, when Bruce Becker, Bruce Becker wrote Cyberpunk, the short story that was like super important to this whole movement before Gibson, before Sterling, before all of them, it was basically writing about this rebellion uh, of kids uh, against their parents. And and so I, I, I think we lost that because now the aesthetics Cyberpunk is aesthetics, and video games and movies are completely, have completely depleted cyberpunk of its meaning. And now it's all about black jacket and sunglasses over a neon skyline in Hong Kong, you know, with fucking flying yes. cars yes. and and whatever. So when it's done in a nice way, like maybe in Matrix, which was kind of a commentary on the issue uh, on the real on the real issue of how we part of the simulation. Uh, that can be interesting, and when you can see how seriously this thing has been, this thing is taken by lots of writers and lots of video game designers today. It's really tiresome. I mean, I'm really worried about the new Cyberpunk game coming out, uh, maybe next year, maybe in the next two years. It, is, it looks so formulaic. It looks so look backwards on every level i mean and when you look at uh, blade, the new blade runner which was so backward politically on every level i mean i mean i'm like okay this this cyberpunk today i don't want to have no i don't want to have anything to do with that so so But, uh so if we want to basically uh take this critique of cyberpunk but kind of uh, turn it the other way around, you know, as I say, like take it with, with some sort of pinch of salt and some sort of irony as well and using this code to somehow criticize cyberpunk by using some sort of uh, proto-cyberpunk as you, as you, you say um, how, how would you how would you think that we could use these codes to, to imagine uh, um, a future scenario for Europe at the moment? Well, I mean, the thing is that you have to get rid of the irony, irony first. It's not ironic at all. I mean, proto-cyberpunk is basically the idea that we need to have an intimate relationship with the computer in a way that we can understand what a computer is doing and how to have a dialogue and a discussion with a computer on an intimate level. And um, so that's why I'm super interested in command line, for instance, or very root uh archaic ways of interacting with computers that has nothing to do with algorithms at all because algorithms obfus- completely obfuscate the relationship we have with the computer. So if we want a proto-cyberpunk aspect of reality uh, to be implemented, we first think to educate people on what it is to actually interact with a computer and not 
just be a user of a computer, but someone, and I'm not saying someone to design a computer, but at least you understand what is going on when you talk to your computer and when you do things with your computer. So for me, if we wanted to have a proto-cyberpunk, that means something that people can use in order to, 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 to create an uprising against power and against authority, we would need to educate people to come online operations and to the actual design of computers and maybe or to create their own computers. And we've already started doing that. I mean, there are a lot of schools now uh, using uh, Raspberry Pi or little small things like that that can really encapsulate the reality of a computer and have a where the people interacting with it can have a better grasp of the whole architecture and the whole language that they need to use in order to master this architecture and make it live somehow. So if, if we wanted to have that, we, we, we would need to get rid of basically this huge cap surveillance capitalism slash um, 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 comfort industry of the computer and and so getting rid of the GAFAM for instance in Europe would be a very good first step to that you know because they tend to want to put you into the position of a basic blind user you know they don't want they don't want you to have a relationship with your computer they want you have you to have a relationship with a operating system they want you to have you relationship with your software they don't want you to have a relationship with a computer with a machine so, at all. so let's imagine for for a second that uh, this process has been happening so that basically we in europe we've been able to strip down the algorithms and and the interface and the operating system and basically we are living in a distant future maybe 30 years or 40 years i don't know how uh, from now and and then this relation and this intimate relation with the computer has been reestablished again between the citizens and the machines how this would look like how do you think the uh, would impact on the normal life of people in, in europe how do you think the um, configuration of uh, of of the of the power would be uh, in that uh, in that kind of scenario well yeah, that's a super interesting uh, uh, take uh, for me there are two things to consider here the first thing you have to consider is what is europe uh, what is the european vision what is the european prophecy i would say if i want to quote blake um, i mean is it like this beacon of hope and this beacon of civilization where freedom and whatever this concept is uh, and uh, human rights are enforced first and foremost and that feminism somehow has been I mean, generalized so that we can finally have a egalitarian society uh, where we've pushed back uh, the agenda of reactionaries and um, and uh, people who want, who are afraid of adapting to new patterns and who don't want to address the problem that they are causing, uh, like climate change and all these kind of things. So I guess first we have to understand, we would need to have a political identity in Europe. And we don't have that. I mean, what we have is a kind of like weird economical slash ideological uh Europe right now that is but let, let's let's imagine for a second that uh, as you say like we are projected in the future and uh, first of all like m maybe some sort of uh, 
uh, I mean, this kind of ideology or this kind of vision that you just uh, mentioned has been has been uh, implemented, and that we also passed the phase where people had to learn in order to get back uh, in this sort of intimacy with their computers. So we are like past all these phases, and and we are basically to the point where actually uh, each citizens have a special and intimate relation with the computers, and also where political power is totally different from what we know now. So how, how this, you know, if we would have to explain, if we would be like uh, coming back from the future right now and explain to the people that are listening to us uh, how this future would look like so that they could, so that they could uh, look and feel it, you know, somehow. Well, for me, that's the second part of the reflection is that once we are in a future where the European prophecy is realized somehow, maybe after a massive war, maybe because of a kind of like consciousness uh, thing, we would need to understand the computer as part of nature. We would need to expand our idea on nature. And that would mean that in this kind of society, the computer's hardware will be part of nature. It will be part of our daily life as flowers as food, as these kind of things, as pets, even that, you know, I mean, we would need to completely integrate the computer and the relationship of the computer inside nature. That would not, so that would mean that we would be back in nature. Human would not be outside nature anymore. We would be back in nature and human creation would be part of nature. And so computer will be nature. So basically, so, computers will be a new form of life. Well, it's kind of already. I mean, depends on what you understand as life. I'm not saying that it's life as le vivant or that is alive, but it's a form of reflection of consciousness and uh, the same way that for instance when you look at a lake for instance and it reflects back an image to you and you can grow and structure life around this lake computers are basically can have basically the same impact on our lives and uh, but if we want to see them for what they are not for what we want them to be you know and that's the problem right now it's like we are like shaping them to be so outside and every all the boundaries that we're not integrating them into into our total consciousness so that would mean that if i was traveling back from that from that period i would be shocked by the way we're using computer today i would be shocked by the way we are letting big companies handle private data uh, I would be shocked by the way people are locking hardware inside computers, the way people are locking softwares and operating systems, uh, when people are creating brands. Uh, you know, that would not, that, that's absolutely not how I envision a relationship with a computer. That, that, that's, very, that's very fascinating because I, I'm kind of thinking, I mean, trying to get into this mindset and kind of thinking like, if you if you start to think about the computer as part of nature then the fact the very fact that the computer can have a, uh, an owner like could also start to be put in question an owner that goes from the individual owner to to actual the the the, the manufacturers and the, the big corporations and so on like so somehow i mean if i if i may a little bit um, add up and build on on this vision uh it's 
almost like um, if computers are forms of life, you you can't enslave them. While now we somehow consider them an extension of ourselves rather than uh, part of the world nature. I don't I, I don't know if you understand what I mean. That's a very good point, and 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 this is bringing us to a very important idea. If we want to talk to address the future, is AI. Uh, uh, of course, AI right now is this completely crappy, product-driven API, fragmented APIs that is kind of like tuning our needs uh, and tailoring our needs, but. If we want to talk about consciousness, I mean, this is this is something else. And honestly, I don't believe in computer consciousness. I don't believe in singularity or all this kind of thing. For me, this is religious thinking. And even though I am a believer and even though I'm a spiritual person, I, I do understand that consciousness is about the is is holistic. It's about the whole thing. It's not about units of things inside. You know, it's about the whole thing. So of course you can try to address consciousness as coming through parts, and then these parts are kind of like uniting at some point. But if we want to talk about AI in a society that is um, using computer as part of life. Uh, we need to talk about humans. We need to talk about the way we are conscious. And I don't think we are conscious that much. I don't think we have understood the responsibility of consciousness. I don't think we have, because if we have done, if, if we would have the responsibility of consciousness, we would not behave the same way as we are doing right now with nature, for instance. Uh, so it's kind of like very troublesome for, for me to think about AI in terms of usability and and uh, and kind of like spontaneous consciousness appearance inside a pattern of silicon neurons or synapses. It's for me, it's something completely else. It's something that is coming from the world and rising through every part of it and trying to engineer ai for me has absolutely no meaning so in this society ai would be the collective customs that humans have created with computer you know this back and forth between machine and and us, you know, and that would be a very nice European utopia, you know, to think about civilization. It's very nice utopia. And um, also it leads me to a subsequent reflection, which is if uh, that relation with computers and with artificial intelligence is totally set up within the natural frame, also the concept of uh, diversity and the concept of um, the perception of uh, actual human beings would, would change somehow. So there is a utopic element also from this point of view, which is reflected not so much about the relations with the computers, but actually I would like to see in this, in this uh, future uh, a different relation between human beings about uh, the, the, the concept of, um, 
of gender, for example, which exactly. I, I would I would totally uh, see as something that is uh, totally outdated in that, that society, you know, or the concept of um, of citizenship itself, you know, like the concept of European citizenship, which now is so ingrained with national citizenship, might totally change its uh, its meaning and this uh, in this way because if there is a complete integration between uh, the humans, the computers, and and such an intimate relations among different elements, also I wonder what kind of sense in this kind of reality would have the concept of borders, for example. I don't know. What do you think about that? Okay, so first let me, I mean, um, I completely agree with you on that. And that was probably where I was leading. It's just like that, that is basically the end game of this relationship is to be more conscious of ourselves and to be able to understand ourselves as fluid and as expanding as we can be. Uh, and that's the thing. Today, people are talking about giving rights to robots or giving rights to companies and everything, where at the same time, we are denying rights to a certain category of humans and to certain categories of nature, part of nature. I mean, if a company today can be a person, I mean, legally, why can't a tree be one? Why can't a lake be one? Why can't a pond be one? You know, and, and that's for me, that's crazy because, I mean, as a trans person, uh, I, I might be living in a society where I have less right than a company or in a robot, mm. which doesn't make sense at all, you know? So, of course, that's the idea of it. It's like we are using this relationship with nature as a way to enhance our consciousness of each other and the responsibility of consciousness in society. But then, so many things will, will be completely erased uh, from the problem that we have. I mean... When you look at what today is happening with electronic citizenship, for instance, in Europe, uh, one country—I uh, don't know—I don't, I don't know which country it is. Like Lithuania, it's Estonia. Croatia. Estonia. It's Estonia, all right, right? Which was giving like this electronic citizenship, which doesn't mean really anything right now. It's like kind of like money thing, or I don't know exactly. But it's fun to understand that maybe somehow we can create this abstraction of zones that can be that, that can change that are that do not re reflect at all uh the, the the territory or the fact where that we can play with because that's the problem today is that like we have encroached abstraction and reality so much that none can change so we need to actually have a layer on top of reality where we can actually take care of The, the real, that means the thing that people need in order to live, and then abstract a layer that can change and adapt to our needs and adapt to what is happening on the, on the planet so that we, we, we will preserve food, we will preserve water, and we will preserve shelter for people, you know, because that's actually the basic thing. And that's what baffles me with the system right now. It's like when you talk about these things today, Because this, this is not so far-fetched. You say, people say, oh yeah, you don't, we want communism. And I'm like, no, I don't want communism. What I like is that to identify things that we are not, we cannot play with, you know. And these things are food, water, shelter, this uh, elf, these kind of things you cannot play with. Of course, you can play with other things. We can play with leisure. We can play with fucking cars you can play with a lot of things just don't put everything on the same level because a car is not water yeah and the, maybe the, the water the water the air that we breathe and you know yeah. like the basic common goods that we we need as human beings and also that the nature needs in order to come continue to live 
Yes, this this should never be this should never be something market that can be marketed. You know, never. This is this is not something that should be able to be uh, as seen as profit or seen as uh, bankable or seen as an asset. You know, it is not an asset. But we are so far down into the the, the ecstasies of capitalism right now that. Everything is valued and everything is measurable. And that's exactly where we are with algorithm right now. And that's where we are so far away from uh, the actual root of what we are trying to do here. It's just like the, the road that we are going there is a complete alienation of man and computer and computer. And because computer and computerized system and computerized measure is becoming the norm, then we are alienating man from its own reality from some planet and then basically we're done that's the end of the world that's the end of that's the end game so so you know. so if we would have to uh, again continue our description coming back from the future and uh, trying to trying to give some other elements i mean we we mentioned the relation with the computers we relation with nature the borders, the relations with his own body and so on, all these kind of things that are changing in, 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 that, in that, that specific future. What else would, would change when it comes to, I don't know, maybe even like geography or like the way uh, daily life is made in that, uh, in that uh, imagined Europe? I, I do believe that the network, a network, distributed network aspect of Europe is the way to go. Uh, I mean, we are living, I mean, especially in France, we are living in a very centralized country in a very centralized way. And, and we have like this, this, this market with our, that have a tendency to be inside these big capitals, London, Paris, Berlin, you know, and uh, not Berlin, I don't know where it is. I think it's in Frankfurt. Um, or all the capital. I think this is the this is a wrong take. This is I mean we we absolutely need decentralized thing. And the thing is that maybe what we can do is try is this thing that that I call a version of the cyberspace, which means that we are creating cyberspace or the idea of cyberspace, and then somehow we can use maybe the good things that we've learned on it and then reflect it back on reality, you know, and create the uh, inside society do 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 ways of being citizens and and responsible for for an uh, our own sp space you know and so maybe countries will not have that much of a of a uh, of an importance but we can still retain some kind of traditional lines of customs uh, and not customs like like douane mm. like where like what i mean is like what is super interesting in europe is that you can cross three different provinces and get three different traditions and three different types of water of wind of weather and three different types of geography and, 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 and food really like and that. food and food and i really like that that is so interesting i mean one week you can in europe you can see so many things i have lived in north america for a while and I, even though i loved some things of it i mean i, I really missed uh, the diversity of european uh, uh, um, landscapes and food and, and customs and traditions and everything and maybe we can have some kind of like weird cultural not frontiers but cultural influence over zones uh, where we can actually have these flavors 
of, of, of these different flavors overlapping each other's. And, and so maybe Europe might be like, kind of like a rhizomic flower that is expanding and changing because of, you know, like, like wine, uh, you know, like, uh, like the way you, it's, it's the sun, it's it or, or something like that. And then maybe we can figure out a way to distribute traditions instead of distributing nations, you know, and because you can be part of several traditions at the same time. I would love to be able, for instance, to be part of a certain Icelandic tradition of doing something and then uh, into some time of Bretagne tradition of doing things and then maybe some kind of like this city in the east uh, of of category, um, tradition of writing and then all these things can be overlapping inside my own self and saying I'm European because I'm using all these traditions that are coming from everywhere and are so different from each other but still I retain I love your definition I mean what you say the Europe uh, as a um, rhizomatic flower I mean uh, mm. it, it's 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 a beautiful image uh, maybe just to explain a little bit uh, what exactly would you mean by uh, rhizomatic, because not everyone uh, might be familiar with the word in, in, in English. So, um, Well, it's, it's, you have like, what is a rhizome as a flower? But there, a rhizome is a philosophical, um, Concept, I don't know, yeah. uh, pattern that has been, you know, created by postmodern, some postmodern uh, thinkers. I don't remember, maybe it was Deleuze, but I'm not sure about that. But it's kind of like... Um, it's the way to graft diversity and multiplicities inside a world system, a complete system, and an underground system that you don't see. You don't see the root of the system. What you can see is kind of like this kind of like complete flowering of diversity, and um, and uh, the way to graft in the in in non hierarchical patterns things that relate to each other's and that connect to each other and that are symbiotic to each other but they are different you know? yeah exactly so the, 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 beauty, the, the beauty of of, uh, of something that is interconnected and thanks to the interaction with the other is still very unique it's unique and it has what is super important for me is that it has no hierarchy at all that it has no beginning no end it's kind of like this weird infinite landscape, you know, and infinite canvas where not even non-Euclidean one, because when you're over this, the border of one, then you come back on the other border, you know, uh, so that can be that, these weird angles and everything. And we have part of these things, yeah, we have, we still, we have part of this thing, like mutualism, for instance, uh, is something that would be a nice uh, economical way to sustain a rhizomic um, um, organization in Europe, or uh, the way we can actually look between things instead of looking at the things themselves so that means that there would there would be no dead space uh what we are experiencing right now in france with the rising of what we call the gilet jaune here is much 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 more than the gilet jaune much more than the reivindication it's the fact that we have blind spots in france where nothing is happening or a lot of things are happening but nobody pays attention to what is happening and then therefore nobody thinks it's important and you have the same in canada for in canada for instance, where I, I, I live too, and you have these blind spots. And in a rhizomic 
uh, organization. This thing cannot happen. This thing would be part of the world system and everything will be, will enrich the, the, the life of of the multiplicity, I mean, like the hybridization and, 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 and diversity will be part of what we are. And somehow that is kind of what anarchism, anarchism is about. Anarchism is not about creating chaos for the, sh- the love of chaos. That's one use of the word, but anarchism as a political theory is just the way to think about organizing society according to non uh, hierarchical um, patterns uh, and and we have lots of examples of that we have lots of examples of how to based our organization on uh, thinking process on landscapes on r- available resources on um, interconnection between people and maybe if Europe is something that could be it that could be this weird place where this experiment in your non-hierarchical society can happen because it's the root of freedom it's the root of equality it's the root of feminism too it's the root of all these things that we say there is no reason to measure something against another thing and add values to that. That is a completely wrong way to look at reality for me. And this is all inherited from the, the, the social Darwinism that has been theorized at the end of the 19th century, which was, was just a pretext for people who wanted more money to justify their own greedy behavior, but that's nothing to do with reality and with Darwinian theory at all. And now everybody's calling that as a, oh, this is the way we function. This is competition. This is hierarchy. But no, absolutely not. It's just the way capitalism wants us to see reality, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's very, it's, it's very fascinating. What, what, what I also like about uh, going towards the, the end of, um, of this episode, I like the, the, the process that we use because basically we, we started with cyberpunk, but somehow we reconnected cyberpunk to a science fiction utopian tradition, which is somehow, uh, I think, a, a way for bringing back uh, cyberpunk itself to to some more political, meaningful tool versus uh, versus the, the that uh, sort of aesthetification or like uh, you know uh, uh, formalization which which uh, which we mentioned at the beginning you know that that has been uh, and I, I, I really uh, I mean I'm a passionate of utopia as a, as a tool for for reflecting for the future and um, and I totally like that image of of Europe as a rhizomatic flower. Also, because somehow, I mean, if you if you strip down a little bit uh, uh, certain aspects that uh, one can be more critical or less critical, but they in the experience of life uh, in Europe, you you can already have some some sort of seeds of this kind of uh, flower. As you say, the way the local traditions sometimes can be not just mixed, but you can leave local traditions and be very anchored to the territory, but at the same time being very interconnected with other spaces and other places. Um, I mean, somehow also to bring a little bit of, of positive aspects to, to the actual reality and experience that we have. There is a little bit of this already now. What do you think? Oh, I mean, I definitely, I'm, 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 I mean, I honestly, I don't believe in dystopias anymore. And I think we're past the moment where 
I mean, we're already past dystopia. We're already living in dystopia. People are saying, oh my God, it's coming, it's coming. No, it's already there. It's there. We're living in it, you know, and now we need to find a way to survive and love in the ruins of of the world that they have created for us. And there are challenges there because like there are radicalizations and everywhere and everything. The thing about cyberpunk, which is kind of very problematic for me right now, is just like we have people already doing that. But when cyberpunk was first created, it was empowering uh, users of computer to change reality ancient reality. The problem now is that we are going back to the roots of the problem to address what they've done with cyberpunk. Because now we are going scaling down our habits on computers in order to, to, to fight GAFAM, you know, in order to find capital, surveillance capitalism. And so that means that our cyberpunk is encapsulated inside its own dystopia, inside a dystopia, you know. So I think we need to get rid of this thing once and for all. We need to get rid of this aspect of of of, of reality completely because we are encased. We are encased in a case within a case, and maybe that's the post what we call the postmodern condition. Uh, but I believe that we are already passed out, and now we have every tools that we need in order to reclaim uh, uh, back what we want for civilization. But Honestly, I don't see it happening without either a consciousness, uh, a strong level of consciousness coming or a massive regression of consciousness. It's going to go either way. You know, I'm not a binary person, but I do believe that right now we are at the crossroad where we have to make a choice. And my deep, deep, deep dream is that we actually understand that humanity is fluid and that we can finally shape reality according to our needs and not to the contrary. Because right now what we are doing is just like completely submit to the idea we have on society and all these things based on centuries, what I say, millennial ages concepts that are no relation whatsoever to what we're experiencing right now and uh so i don't know uh i think cyberpunk is really dead but that doesn't mean that we we cannot celebrate its death you know and maybe that's the thing maybe we just have to it's like nostalgia you know it's kind of like hey it's dead wow thank the goddess it is finally dead on this kind of celebration of the death of cyberpunk and <laughs> and the death of, of of dystopia to a certain extent i would say that uh this brings us to to the end of this episode and i would like to thank you sabrina for for your time with us today thank you for listening europa rama you can check out more episodes and the other shows of the are we europe podcasting family in the channel of simplecast and on the website of are we europe Also, you will find more detailed information and links about what we've been discussing in the show notes. In the next episode, I will speak not with one, but with two authors from the Czech Republic, Julie Novakova and Vilma Kadlechkova. We are going to imagine together what would happen in the future if the past of our continent diverged that much to still have feudalism and noble families running space stations in the future. Looking forward to it. Until next time, bye-bye.